And, and now we turn to God's word. Uh, you'll find uh, in, in your bulletin, John 11, uh, verses 17 to 21. Now there must have been some kind of miscommunication and I'm, I'm, I'm convinced it's my fault. So don't blame dear Dorothy. It's my fault. It, the, the, the text today actually goes from verse 17 to 27. So if you have a copy of God's word, either on your phone or, or uh, a physical copy of the Bible in front of you, that will be helpful as I read not just uh, John eleven seventeen to 21, I will also continue to 27. Again, it's my fault that, that it's not in your bulletin. Um, do, do please make note of that. Um, but regardless, we, we will be considering John 11, verses 17 to 27. And allow me to read those verses. Listen carefully, this is the word of God. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, God, as this word has been spoken and as we have heard it, uh, we pray that not just our ears, but also our hearts would hear and take this deeply into us, that we would be changed by your word. Um, Encourage us and instruct us, convict us and comfort us by the gospel this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if, the word if, two letters, it's a small word, but it's a necessary word. We use it in many different situations. We, We say if when we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, We say if to outline and assess different possibilities in situations where we don't know what's going to happen, but maybe we need to make a decision. Uh, We need if. We we use it all the time. But the word if can be deeply unsettling because if can communicate regret or grief as well. If only. If that didn't happen, then my life would be so much better. You see, if is used so often because it's used in situations where there is unknown and we're surrounded by what is unknown. The unknown invites us to put our faith in God, but it also can invite cynicism and unbelief. So we need Jesus to do something with our ifs. We need Jesus in our ifs. And that's Martha here. That's that's where Martha's at in this passage. Uh, 
she does a beautiful thing with her uncertainty, with her uncertain present and future, with a, a dead brother and in the middle of this grieving process that she's in. And so she takes her if and she lays it out for Jesus so that he can take hold of it and hold it with her and eventually transform it. Jesus transforms grief and uncertainty and fear into a living hope. That's the hope of Christ that, can, that not, is just, not, not only is possible to exist, but shines more brightly when it exists in the context of grief and fear and uncertainty. It's a living hope. So what we're going to see this morning that Jesus transforms if, he transforms uncertainty, Jesus transforms if, Jesus also contemporizes our hope, it's our second point, he contemporizes hope, and then he asks us to believe. He asks us to believe. So those three things. First of all, Jesus transforms if. In verse 17, as we uh, begin, uh, Jesus walks into this scene that is a bit lost on us because we do death differently than they did back then in the first century Palestine and then in, in Jewish tradition. Based on that tradition, right after Lazarus died, they put him in the ground, probably the same day. Uh, it, it was very common that right after the person died, you put him in the ground, and then the whole grieving process kind of grinds to a halt. Um, so the, the fact that he was buried the same day he died probably means that as Jesus gets there and he's been dead for four days, he's been in the tomb for probably three and a half, maybe, something like that. And we're told this to, 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 to accentuate his deadness. There's, there's, no, there's no question about it. This is not a prolonged coma. Lazarus is decomposing. His soul is gone somewhere else. His life is past tense. That's how the people are seeing and considering Lazarus at this point. And so the, the funeral, which happened super fast, things have ground to a halt, and typically uh, in, in this grieving process, there was a, a, a 30-day grieving period, and the first seven days was the most intense, uh, where, where things really weren't happening except for grieving practices. And, and, and visitors from the, the community would come to the bereaved family in their home, and, and they would spend time and, and, giving, and they would give condolences. For the prominent fa families, um, visitors would come from out of town, which apparently was happening with Mary and Martha and Lazarus' family. And that's how Jesus' actions would have been interpreted. It would have been like, oh, what, what a good friend Jesus was. He's coming to offer condolence. He was far away, but he came to offer condolences. That's what people would have expected is the reason Jesus is there. And you know, I was reading uh, that during that first seven days, uh, it, it was expected that for the women, the mourning women in the family, that they were to just kind of sit on the ground in their, in their house and not do anything other than that. They didn't have expectations to keep their home up necessarily. Their expectation was to mourn, to just sit and receive condolence. And that's what Mary seems to continue to do, at least longer than Martha does. But Martha, interestingly, she gets up and goes to Jesus. 
Um, and she stays true to her character, which has kind of been maligned a little bit. If you, if you know that story, in, I think it's in, in Luke's gospel, chapter 10, Martha is known as this busybody person because Mary, in that situation, Jesus is in their house and he's teaching. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, raptured by his teaching, and Martha is uh, doing dishes or something. And she's annoyed at, at Mary because she's not helping. And Jesus says, Martha, Mary's doing a good thing because she's listening to my teaching. But, but this passage shows us that Martha is not just a soulless busybody. It, it, it's actually her personality that needs to be doing something that helps her here. Because she, she doesn't stay still. She gets up and goes to Jesus. And as she does, she, she lays bare her uncertain regrets. And, and do just, you know, interpret the, her first words to Jesus as this agonizing statement. Um, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only you had been here, Jesus, this would have been all different. But it's true, isn't it? Jesus could have stopped Lazarus from dying. And we don't like to think about it, but for everything that has ever truly gone wrong in your life, you could also say something similar to God that would be true. God, you could have stopped that from happening. If you had providentially intervened, that accident wouldn't have happened, that sickness wouldn't have happened, that terrible thing that happened to a loved one, that, that thing that happened to me as a child that has messed up the rest of my life, that wouldn't have happened. It's, it kind of points to this, the, the, the classic you know, problem of suffering, the problem of evil, the, the classic reason why people lose their faith. That God is all-powerful and he is good, uh, more than that, though, from Scripture, he, he, it's not only that he could have prevented the bad things that happen in your life, but he also, because of his character, he didn't sit up in heaven enjoying watching you go through that. His character and his will is such that he is against all the evil things that harm and hurt and grieve us. And the agony comes from the fact that he didn't intervene. He didn't change things. Uh, like Jesus earlier in this chapter, he allowed the death to occur. He waited until Lazarus died to do something about this situation. <laughs> and then maybe, maybe, maybe this has frustrated you in some way. When Jesus comes to find us, he doesn't come with an apology. He doesn't apologize to Martha for waiting. It's uncomfortable to think about that, isn't it? So is God all-powerful? Is he good? Does he just, d d does, he, does he care? In some ways, these are legitimate questions, but you need to be careful because they can become very toxic to your soul if you cause them to turn you away from God. Martha doesn't do that. She goes to Jesus with her if, and then he gives her faith, or her faith that goes with her to Jesus brings her even further, because she doesn't stop with that statement. She goes on and says this, a very interesting, I think, faith-filled statement, even in the midst of grief, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So what's she trying to say there? Well, first of all, she's been listening to Jesus. 
because she's, she's kind of saying back to him one of the main themes in his teaching, which is that he is closely connected to God the Father, that, that, that he has come to be this representative for the Father's love. And, and, and Martha says, Jesus, I still believe that that's who you are. I, I, I believe that God is still with you and that you are still good. Jesus, I know you. I still trust you. I, I recognize you. You're the same as you were before. I just can't make sense of why you weren't here when I needed you, but I know you're the same. Of, 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 of all, everything in her world that has been turned upside down, for her, Jesus seems to have remained the same. And, and, and that's, that's admirable. So, so what, are, what are your ifs? What are your regrets? The things that you wish God would have changed or would have not allowed to happen? You know, do you know along with Martha that Jesus really is no different than he was before those things happened? Uh, he's the same. He's the same now. Uh, has, has, has it been a while since you've come to him like Martha? Uh, have, have, have you been skeptical that he would accept you or hear your prayer or listen to you? He's the same. He's the same Christ who was with you before it happened. He's the same Christ who, uh, who, who, who died for you before you were even born. He's the same that he's always been. And he's still here now. He's still available to you through faith, through prayer, to hear your questions, your, your ifs, your regrets, and to lead you in, in faith to go beyond them. He's the same Christ. And, and where Jesus wants us to go, where he wants us to, to end up is this place where hope is not a distant thing, but it's much closer. Uh, the, way, the way I've said it, this is our second point, that Jesus contemporizes hope. Jesus contemporizes hope. You see, when what we wished Christ would prevent still ends up happening, when that happened to Martha, at least, uh, admirably, her faith stayed very much intact. Her trust in Christ remained strong. She recognized him to be the same Jesus. But what did take a hit for her, I think, a serious hit, was her hope. Uh, I, I wonder if you can relate to that. So, so what, what happened to Martha? You see, at the end of verse 22, uh, this is, uh, is so right on the heels of her saying, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She, she, she ends there. She doesn't ask Jesus explicitly to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, that would have been a, a, an amazing request. But still, why doesn't she do that? She theoretically, technically, from what she says, believes enough about Jesus to know that he can, but she still doesn't. I wonder why. Probably for some of the same reasons that we don't ask for really big things from the one who we say we believe can do all things. You see, when we're not seeing Christ obviously at work around us, and it seemed to be that way for some time, it's easy to believe that he's not going to work around us in the ways that we really want to see. 
And when that is happening, when there seems to be some blockage in between Jesus and an answered prayer, or Jesus and and the possibility of even answering a, a great lavish prayer that we might ask, in your minds, is Jesus just the one who's here to console you for what's going really wrong in your life? Now, he does come to comfort, and that's a great thing. But, but is Jesus also more than that? Is it possible that Jesus is also the Jesus that's in this passage, the one who, in response to Martha, professing faith but not doing something specifically with it, he says to her, your brother will rise again. Uh, beautiful ambiguity in that. He doesn't say when, he doesn't say how, he just says your brother will rise again. And, 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 and she, you know, I think she, if, if she was around today, she might be a Presbyterian because she loves theological precision. You know, wh- where she goes with that is, okay, Jesus, you said that, that's not clear, let me make it clear. You're talking about the resurrection at the end of time, right? Uh, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Good save, Martha. you needed to make that that clear. You see, that's a safe thing to hope in, especially in her her situation, Uh, because because it's true that Lazarus will rise again on the last day. And the fact that Martha is able to say that, even without the help of like reading the New New Testament, which wasn't written yet, um, again, is faith that's very commendable. It's a faithful move for her to say and put her hope in what God will do in the future, But that's not the faithful move that Jesus wants her to make. He wants her hope to be something more present. Uh, You see, when hope for the improbable seems impossible, instead of asking Jesus for it now, we can do this thing where we sort of stretch it out into the future and say, well, I'm, I'm not sure it's safe to hope for that right now. I'm going to hope for it in the future because I know it's coming later. And the new heavens and the new earth, not only is it going to happen, it's going to be better. So I'm just going to hope for it there and leave it there. And we can sort of keep this equilibrium of things not going super well, but that's, that's fine. It, it feels unsafe to hope for what God can do now because we don't want to get hurt again. So we relegate our hope for what God will do later. And we ask for comfortable things, things that uh, are probably going to happen anyways, whether God helps us or not, um, at, at least from our perspective. And, and, and I think what this does is it kind of undervelops, underdevelops our prayer brain. So if you know about the development of the brain, I don't know that much about it, but I do know that there's such a thing as connecting neurons in your brain so that there's these neural pathways that once they get connected, it helps you to think along those lines in the future. Well, we need to connect these neural pathways in our prayer brains. The the pathway between what we ask God for and amazing big kingdom requests. Uh, Big things in our life, big things for our church, big things around us, things that we couldn't hope to accomplish or see happen on our own, but only that God could do. If, if we learn to ask for those things, that will grow your faith. So here's the goal. To make the most well-worn pathways of your prayer life, asking for the things that you couldn't possibly see happen without the intervention of an all-powerful God. 
Why? Because that's where Jesus wants us to go. That's actually where he wants us to go. Maybe his most common teaching in prayer is to ask for stuff that you can't do or can't see happen and ask, ask, ask again. And the reason why we can always do that is because of what Jesus says next. Some of his most famous words, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha said, I know he will be raised at the last day, Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what, Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. I'm glad you're hoping in that, Martha. But I want you, much more than you're hoping in the resurrection at the last day, is to hope in the resurrection that's standing in your midst right now. Take every good and ultimate eternal thing that you're supposed to hope for and locate that hope in the person of Jesus himself. Martha, I am the one who will raise my people up on the last day and I am standing in front of you. That changes things. And, and, and Jesus drills down on this one here. So, 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 so come with me and look at this next potentially confusing uh, statement, the rest of verse 25 and then 26. He, he, he makes two kind of parallel statements, uh, two promises really. So first of all, he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So life in Christ means that we believe in Jesus and then eventually, unless uh, he comes back, we're going to die, but then afterwards we will live again. There is life now in Christ and then there is death and then afterwards there is complete fullness of life and joy in Jesus. But then what Jesus does with the next statement is he kind of flips it, he takes that future life and pulls it into the present and says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So in one sense, even though you are going to die and then live again, there's going to be life and then death and then life again. There's another sense in, in, in which because you're living with Jesus now, the one who is resurrection and life now, throughout that whole process, you are never going to die. Because true life, by its definition, is to know Jesus. It reminds me of 1 Peter 1, verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, and that Jesus who rose from the dead is alive now and has given us new life through the new birth, will never die, even though we die. So bringing it back to Martha, Martha, it's easy for you to believe that at the end of day's resurrection, life awaits for you there, but I want to remind you that that resurrection is standing in front of you now. And it's not come merely to console, but I have come to transform your situation and give you that living hope that I've promised. And that's why we live for Jesus. That's why we live the Christian life. That's why we're involved in churches. That's why we come to church. That's why we worship God. That's why we get out of bed on a Sunday morning and other mornings. That's why we call a new pastor. That's why we're planting a new church in Seattle. It's because there's a living hope that is walking with us, that has given us his spirit. We, we go with the resurrected Christ into the places where he wants us to go. And, and, and we're an ambassador for a hope that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. That's why we do what we do.
That's why you do what you do. You know, so, so in, in the church planting world, just a little picture into it, um, a lot, of, a lot of people are, are somewhat puzzled as to why we're doing what we're doing. Other Christians are, are somewhat puzzled sometimes because they think, wow, you're planting a church, you're doing it in Seattle, that must be hard. Why would you do it there? And they're right, it is hard. Sometimes I wonder the same thing. But my, my unbelieving neighbors around us who are puzzled by what we're doing, they're puzzled because, you know, why, why are you doing this? Because no one around here is asking for a new church. We're, we're kind of fine without it. So why, you know, it's like you're, you're, you're offering a new service that no one wants. Um, so what's, what's that all about? You know, you, you'd, you'd only need a new church if there were a bunch of people here already who didn't have a church and needed one and, and wanted one. And that doesn't seem to be the case. And so they wonder what, what we're even doing. But, you know, I think that, that kind of convicts me and, and sharpens me a bit because I think that the, church, the churches out there that tend to dwindle and, 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 and die, and certainly this is, this is true historically, are, are those that forget that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that our main purpose is to, is to serve him and to obey him and to, to carry his gospel and his kingdom into the world. And they make the church about something else and, you know, it loses its power. But it's also possible, I think, for churches like ours who, who wouldn't ever do that. We wouldn't ever compromise on theology. But we, we can kind of do this thing that, that Martha is doing before Jesus helps her see that hope is present we say, well, we have Jesus and we have the hope of life in the future and we're super thankful for that and we're just gonna hold on and wait rather than saying, but while we wait, what are we gonna do right now? You know, Jesus has a lot for us to do right now because he is with us. And, and, and that's really what our third point is about. Jesus asks us to believe. Uh, this is in verse 26 and 27. At the very end of verse 26, he says, Martha, do you believe this? Yeah, just an honest question, open-ended, for her to do with whatever she wants. Do you believe this? You know, so, so what is he asking her? Um, there's a lot of grace here. He's not asking her to believe, even now specifically, that she, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Um, he, he's not super concerned about whether she believes that or not. In a few hours, that's going to be taken care of. She, she want, or he wants her to believe in him, right? That, and, and to hope in him. That is what he's about. And that's what this question encourages. And, and, and that's the question we need to hear him ask us. Do you believe this? I want you to hope in me. And, and, and her statement, I think, shows that in a very short time, she's come a long way. Uh, verse 27 is really quite amazing. So I don't know if you caught it, but both in verse 22 and in verse 24, she's already said that she knows something. So in verse 22, she knows that God will give to Jesus anything he asks. And then in verse 24, she knows that Lazarus will be raised in the last day. Um, and, and, and the word that's used there in the construction of the Greek is just kind of a simple statement of, I have this intellectual knowledge uh, in, in, in my brain. It is there. I know it. But then when she says in verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe, 
Um, it, it's an emphatic statement. Yes, Lord, I emphatically, totally believe that you are definitely the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And the difference between just knowing and then seriously, emphatically, with the, 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 the force of your life, believing something. Um, it, it's kind of like if, if you've ever... You know, if, for me, it's because I have little kids in, in, in the house and whenever there's a piece of furniture that's going up against the wall, you need to anchor it there with, with a screw so they don't pull it on, on themselves. Um, you, you know, often if, if you don't have a stud right there, you need to use the, the wall plugs that you get at Home Depot and you hammer it in and then you screw it in. And sometimes like it does a decent job, but not that great. You, you kind of catch it or you kind of like mess up in the installation a little bit. And so you, you screw the screw in and you're kind of like testing it and it's shaking a little bit and you, it hasn't quite caught the, 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 the full, it's not holding onto the wall that great, but it's, it's enough, okay? So that's what it's like to know something. It's like, uh, it's, it's a little shaky, but it, I know it enough. But when she emphatically believes what she says here in verse 27, she, she didn't have to go to Home Depot and buy that little thing and hammer it into the wall. She's gotten a stud. And like, you can rock this thing and it's not gonna move. Her faith is firmly planted in this thing. And, and it's a beautiful thing, she says. It's actually quite amazing. Uh, her statement in verse 27, at this point in, in the story of the Bible, uh, this is... You know, potentially up there with what Peter says when he confesses Jesus as Lord. But at this point, this, uh, maybe other, again, other than that statement, this is the most theologically profound and precise and deep thing that anyone says about the Lord Jesus Christ before his death and resurrection in the whole Bible. And this is Martha, a woman disciple, it, right, uh, four days after her brother dies. This is an amazing uh, confession of faith. It astounds me that she is able to say this. And it just shows like, what, what the presence of Jesus has done for her in this moment. It's transformed her. And, and, and it's amazing. Uh, so she says, Jesus, you're, 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 you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're, you're the one who God has sent to come into the world. Uh, she confesses his divinity. You're the son of God. You are divine. You are God. I don't know how that works, but I know that it's true. Uh, the one coming into the world, that's, that's another special statement, probably a, a reference to Psalm 118, 27, which says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And over the centuries after that was written, it became this, this marker referring to the Messiah and what the Messiah would do, what the, the promised coming one would do and save Israel. And she's saying, Jesus, that's who you are. <laughs> Even though you allowed my brother to die, I know that's who you are. And, and, and wow, this is, this is for all of us right now. Because Martha's theological genius here is that she's recovered her hope and she sees Jesus clearly for who he is, regardless of what's going on around her. As, as, as I've said earlier, she, she listened well to him. Yeah, maybe, maybe not when she was doing the dishes, but other than that, she, was, she, she listened well to him. She heard everything that he said and took it to heart that he is closely connected to the Father and he's come to represent him to the world. That he's come to save the world and to seek and save the lost. And she believes that. And, and, and that's what's so great about this confession of faith. Also because she doesn't know how it's gonna go. Like she, she doesn't know 
that as she says that he's the one who's coming into the world, she doesn't know yet what he came into the world to do. She, this is pre-death and resurrection of Jesus. She, she, she doesn't have near all the advantages that we have of knowing that and having the New Testament, but she still, in the presence of Jesus, believed strongly in him. And that fact, it, 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 it trumped everything around her. And, and the possible hopelessness that was there was eradicated by the presence of Jesus. And that is a powerful witness that we can have as well to our friends, to our neighbors, to the people around us who don't know the Lord. You know, one of the things that we did last summer for the church plant is we had a lot of barbecues in, in my family's backyard and just invited the neighborhood over on a Sunday afternoon to serve them and give them hospitality and you know, just let them know that we're here and um, and if they were interested, this is, this is what we're doing. And I remember one, one conversation I had with a neighbor at one point. Um, it, she, she was, I, I think it was at some point in the summer where the, the smoke was threatening, you know, uh, as is a regular summer occurrence these days. And, and she just talked about how, how terrible climate change is and how um, and she, she's worried for the future and she doesn't know what's, what's coming. And, and I, I just remember being struck by just the sense of, she really doesn't have any hope here. She doesn't know how things are gonna go and she doesn't have any hope. Um, and I, yeah, thankfully, of, you know, I, I know this neighbor and um, you know, we've, we, we, we have a, a, a good neighborly friendship. But in, in that moment, I, I didn't have a, an amazing response. I just sort of listened and yeah, thought, oh, that's, you know, that's interesting. I was, it, it shocked me almost, the level of hopelessness that was there just from the fact that smoke is coming. But in the future, I, I would love to learn how to just leverage a little bit more of Martha's theological genius here because there's something that we can say that no one else in the world can say. It's, it, it's not that, you know what, friend, you know what, neighbor, I know what's gonna happen. I know the outcome of climate change. I understand all of the science behind it. I believe in God, therefore I know all of this stuff. We really don't, right? We, we, we don't really know. We can have probably good ideas, but we don't really know what's going to happen with climate change or any other uncertain thing. We can say this, and this is more profound. You know what? You're right. We don't know what's going to happen. But that's actually okay. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know what's gonna happen with the economy, with the war in Ukraine, with the political uncertainty, with such and such other thing. But let me tell you why that's okay. Because we know Jesus. We know Christ. And he is someone that I, and let me tell you about the hope that I have in him because it's, 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 it's amazing to me and it's not because of anything good that's in me, it's because of the wonderful grace that he's shown me. And it actually makes life in this uncertain world not just bearable, but enjoyable and good because of Christ. That's the hope that we have in Jesus this morning. That's the hope that the world needs. And he can help us be spokespeople for that hope. Let's pray. Our God, we are so thankful for giving us your son for sending him into the world, sending him to us, uh, giving us a new life, uh, causing us to be born again by his death and resurrection, and then giving us a living hope. Help us to grasp that hope.
Uh, There are a lot of things that are uncertain in our lives right now, Lord, and things that we may even come to you with, with questions and say, why did you allow this to happen? But in the midst of that, I pray that the thing that would even be able to eclipse our uncertainties is the fact that the Lord Jesus is with us, that the Spirit is in us, uh, and that we belong to you. Give us the hope that comes from knowing Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.